Hello and welcome to Missing an Audience. In each episode, a different guest from the arts world will talk about how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected their practice, how they see things changing going forwards, and about their memories of being part of or creating for audiences. Our aim with this podcast is to hear from and reach as many different people working or studying in the arts as possible, to connect over what we miss and have lost, what we have to look forward to, and what needs to change. We also hope to spread awareness of charities or arts groups struggling at this time. We need the arts and we need audiences. Culture is for entertainment, protest, education, therapy, employment, inspiration and connection. It must survive. This episode contains brief references to topics that some listeners may find upsetting. Today's guest is actor, writer and performer Katie Arnstein. Most famous for her It's a Girl trilogy, she has been a critically acclaimed regular at Vault Festival, where both Bicycles and Fish and Sexy Lamp won Show of the Week in 2018 and 2019, respectively. The Guardian listed Sexy Lamp in its top 15 shows at the Edinburgh Fringe, and it was named Pleasant's Pick of the Vault. The final chapter of the trilogy, Sticky Door, received its first performance at this year's Vault Festival to standing ovations from audiences. Originally from the West Midlands, Katie is now based in London and has toured the UK extensively. Since COVID-19, she has written for Popoli Theatre's Hashtag Women in Lockdown. One of her monologues, Embarrassed, was listed among the best of lockdown by The Guardian's Aretha Akbar. Katie has rightly been called an incredible performer who seems primed for greatness. Hello, I'm Jake Leonard, the creator and host of this podcast, and I'm a freelance theatre director. Katie Arnstein, how are you? Oh, thanks for asking. Um, well, I, I'm all right, thank you, in the grand <laughs> scheme of things. Absolutely, absolutely fine. But um, I'm having a... This week feels tough. This week is... It, it just feels harder and my housemate um i'm very lucky i'm in lockdown with my partner and my best friend which are two different people i'm not being, okay. <laughs> I'm not being like, cute about it um and uh my housemate uh, helen came in and said um can you believe it's monday again and i was just like oh yes <laughs> and i think it's a lot to do with the news and the incompetence of our government and the potential collapse of our industry if I had to bullet point three terrible things that I think are affecting my mood it's those but I'm reminding myself that I'm extremely lucky very grateful to be talking to you thank you so lovely to see you and um yeah we're 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 cracking on but this week feels hard and I'm and um I said I'm I'm a bit emotional and the introduction you did was (laughs) extremely moving for me How are you? Are you are you all right? Yeah, yeah. You know, just chipping along, <laughs> as you say. <laughs> yeah, it's a strange, strange time, isn't it? I mean, obviously, you've been yeah. quite busy in lockdown, I guess, in some ways, because you know you've been off impressing the Guardian and whatnot. You know. <laughs> oh, that was, I mean, that was very funny, and I, I I found it an extremely tough time to be creative, and I wonder if you have 
too. Yeah. I'm quite goal orientated and I need a deadline to write. Mm. I, I finish all of my shows within hours of them, you know, within about 60 hours of them having to be performed. Um, so the idea of writing things without having a, a deadline doesn't doesn't work too well for me. But then I came across this competition by Popoli, who did a woman in lockdown where you had to write um, an under four minute monologue of a female who's had some restriction put on her liberty in some way. Mm. And so I wrote a couple of monologues for that because that was an easier, positive, you know, under four minutes, couple of pages project. And, and I felt like I was able to do that. I feel very lucky that they both got selected and two brilliant actors performed them over the over the lockdown period, which was which was great. But beyond that, it's been very hard to be creative for me. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of pressure on people to be creative, isn't there? It's yeah. sort of like we're, you know, we're all panicking because suddenly the arts have stopped, so we want to make sure they don't. And then but yeah, it's worth absolutely. pointing out to people that actually it's okay if you're not. Yeah, this period is a getting through it period. Mm. And um, my producer and friend Becky D'Souza said, you know, you, we take it half a day at a time. And if you have a bad morning, you try and make the afternoon better. There was that thing going around at the start of lockdown saying, William Shakespeare wrote Leah during the plague or something. And I don't like Leah anyway. So it's kicking Shakespeare at the moment. But um, <laughs> it, just that that mentality isn't isn't helpful for me and a lot of people, I think. If you, if you don't leave this with your masterpiece, that's all right. We were supposed to be on tour this spring, summer, with Sexy Lamp which is my second show and we were talking a little bit you and I about this um, the idea of watching things that are filmed in a theatre at the moment is reminding me that I'm not in a theatre and what I'm interested in talking about with, with your podcast is the importance of an audience and I think that feeling of community mm. sitting next to someone that you don't know and leaving with a shared experience is the most important thing for me and it's what I try and focus my work around when I'm creating a show the audience is sort of the, the most important thing and and a reminder that I'm not there and I'm not able to be a part of that community at the moment is challenging. So what we are working on at the moment, that's um, me and my team, which is uh, Becky D'Souza and Ellen Havard. We're looking at whether we can do a live performance of Sexy Lamb on Zoom, you know, to, to a small group of people and just do it, make it very clear that I'm in my living room, you're in yours, I'm going to tell you a story. Instead of being like, you know, you're not in a theatre, reminding all of that stuff and just seeing if, if we can still tell the story. And, and if that works, we'll be able to share more information about that because we'd still like to get the story out there. But I don't think sending a video of a recording we did, you know, last year or something is is how we want to do it. One of the qualities of your shows I, I found is that if it does feel like, as much as it is a show and, it, and you know you're in a theatre, it does feel like you're having a chat with someone and that um, you sort of just sat with them and that's really nice yeah. so that's a good idea that's very kind of you where i'm lucky with a with a one person show and the style that we've done it in you know there's nothing if you've seen it there are lights and and things that add to it but i think we're lucky in the sense that if they are taken away you don't know what you're missing you're just hearing a, a story yeah. and if it works which are, which i hope that it will we'll be able to give people a shared experience that they are not able to get in in other ways at the moment it's that group feeling of an audience isn't it and i imagine as well i mean i'm not a performer but I imagine as a performer, you, that feeling that you get from the from the group watching must be really important. Yeah, it's magic. I mean, the I'd never done a one-person show before writing my own stuff, so it was new, um, new experience. And I actually started writing out of frustration. Really, I was doing a, a three-person show, and I found part of the the experience very challenging. I was playing a mum, and the character was just called Mum, and the director said, "You have to wear an apron," and I said, "Why?" 
and they said well how else will the audience know that you're a mum so I was like right and I wasn't getting the work that I wanted to do but also I was finding that the roles for women were not inspiring they were not well written they were not well thought out and I thought well I can do better than this like I can I can do better than this I might not be brilliant but I can start so I wrote a 15 minute scratch night piece which I performed at Redbridge Drama Centre in um, northeast London and from that it was called um, A Girl's Guide to Feminism I think that was the first 15 minutes and then the Redbridge Drama Centre said we liked it why don't we give you the rehearsal space and you can make it into an hour and I made an hour show and then my friend Dan Goldman saw it and then sort of redirected it and helped guide the story. And that became Bicycles and Fish. And that was the, the start of my process. So it was really with the help of a lot of people that I got to where I am, with the help of and support of the audience, with a one-person show, when you don't have another actor to play off and to catch you if you forget your line and all of those things, that actor becomes the audience. You've got to do it with them and you've got to make sure that they're, you know, believing you and understanding where you're going with the story. And so missing an audience of this podcast suggests mean that I feel like I, the work that I want to do isn't as possible at the moment because the audience for me are the most important part and I miss, I miss them. <laughs> so with the idea that audiences are as important as they are, one of the things that I've been asking people is for experiences they've had either with an audience as a performer or as an audience member. So what would you like to share with us? So I'll start with the um, most affecting thing I, I saw as an audience member, if that's all right. And it yeah. was Amelia at the Globe. It was the most impactful, uniting, fiery end to a show and the, the, I mean, the whole show is phenomenal, but the way it builds to this ending, the, the globe felt so alive and so um, just, yeah, energised. It was it was phenomenal. I was, I, I didn't know whether I was laughing or crying or, um, I, I, I think it was sort of both. I was, you know, I was shouting. There were people hugging people that they definitely did not know before that moment. And that uniting feeling was was sensational and 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 that was the best the best audience experience i've i've ever had and i felt so lucky to have been there and i know that's that's what i what i want to aim for it's sort of confirmed that there is a universality if that's the word and uniqueness to female stories and because they're not told as regularly as they should be there are some things that are surprising i i, I feel that I'm, I'm very lucky to be able to talk about the the things that i do and have people come up to me afterwards even simple things. I, I talk about um, cystitis because I get cystitis. Or that, sorry to bring this to urinary tract infection so early in the podcast. <laughs> but, um, I, I got cystitis when I was um, an early, from a very young age, and I still get it. And I'd never, it's, it, there's so much uh, shame around these things. Mm. And I'd never seen it on a, on a TV show or in a, in, on a stage, uh, in a stage production. And at the end of it, at the end of my shows, I've had a lot of young women come up to me and just go, I get cystitis. And it's not, you know, it's not a big theme of my show at all. But the fact that there's, um, you know, a, union, a uniting comment about that, that, um, that feels very special. There's obviously bigger themes in my work, as you know, of sort of um, sexual assault, sexism, the everyday um, hurdles that you have to overcome as a woman to be in the same room as as men by the end of the day but the it's also about the little things for me and the um bring shedding a light on the yeah on the everyday and so i've had a lot of brilliant 
feedback and kindness and I've got made a lot of friends with audience members who I've met at the bar afterwards who have said this reminds me of this or you know this happened to me on the way to the theatre this evening or my boss said this to me today and that's what makes me want to keep going and keep writing and come back and and say that there's there's more you know it's not just about women's issues I hope that it's a story for everybody I believe that it is but I wanted to talk about that shared sort of unspoken journey that that you go on and that and, and the audience support and the kindness that I've been shown has sort of confirmed that that is an important thing to keep to keep telling well I mean from the very beginning of your shows you you welcome the audience in um you know maybe you're there handing out sweets to the audience which is always a fantastic yeah. way to win them over but uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just a simple nice bribe thing. isn't it when you, <laughs> um I was doing that even from the 15 minute piece it was really important to me that the audience felt um felt welcomed i want my audience to know that they're safe and especially when some of the themes that we're talking about are um triggering for people like as you know i start with i start all of my shows with trigger warnings yeah um and i make it part of the show and i want everyone to feel comfortable and say we're going to be talking about these things I never get graphic. I never, um, I never want my work to be triggering. Theatre should be, should make people feel safe. That yeah. it should make them, you know, it, it it is always, of course, like supposed to be political and angry and um, igniting. And I think it it can still all be those things. But the audience has to feel safe to safe enough to listen and and learn from it. I think that's why I'm keen to. Hand out, sweet, hand out sweets. I'm trying to. Uh, we're also looking for sponsorship. If anyone is listening from <laughs> from a sweet manufacturer, and we, <laughs> yeah, and of course you have a West Midlands connection, so there's a sweet manufacturer. Of course. So yeah, what's up, Brown? But yeah, it, but you know, the sweets is a sort of is is sort of a little joke, but mm. also a way of you know welcoming them into my space and saying thanks for joining me i am really grateful that you're here yeah i hope you enjoy yourselves i was having a discussion with somebody about this the other day actually it's it's so difficult with trigger warnings because you you want to have them in because it's it's a vital thing you don't want anyone as you say you want the audience to feel safe you don't want anyone get upset by what's happened but at the same time you don't want to kind of scare people off either or make them feel like they're on edge from the beginning yeah ellen my um my director said something interesting and she said you know it's not entirely your responsibility Hmm. to make everyone to make it easy for everyone and i think i think that's true because it's sort of an extra burden that maybe i carry as a female performer i'm not sure if that is the case but it was an interesting question Hmm. that some of the themes in the show i didn't want to explore because I thought always oh, is this too much is are we going too far are we going to upset people but there's a because my work is often from a frustrated point or from a from an anger and just um just being like I can't believe we're not talking about this hmm. um she said you know you can put some of that rage out there and you'll you'll feel it back at you that that's the the, the point of your work is to share this experience and go I am tired of this are you yeah. let's do something about it and that's that's what we try and do with the with the pieces i think the audio clips that you have at the beginning of the show as well mm. they're very well put together i'd heard a lot of those clips before when they'd actually been said or in the news or whatever and completely mm. forgot about them and then 
hearing them in isolation kind of got me angry and you know especially the Seth MacFarlane thing at the beginning of um, uh, Sexy Lamb uh, that's a horrendous thing and then you think oh well that was 2013 or something and they were yeah I mean for anyone that's listening that doesn't know it's a um, Seth MacFarlane was hosting the Oscars in 2013 and he began the ceremony with um, a song that listed all the female artists and the times that they saw you time that you saw their breasts as an audience member and that is that for me is wrong on a number of levels and i it, you know uh, some of the scenes that are mentioned are even to make it worse are scenes of assault and scenes of rape and not for titillation and the fact that they were included in that song that that song got the okay from presumably everyone involved that so many people were supporting that decision of his to go yeah this is a legitimate way to start a ceremony is to draw a line and go look how different you are to us and that the start of that in the way that we do it with me with a lampshade on my head and in a sort of eerie echoey you know not with the glitz and glamour of the of the oscars makes it more stark but the it was important to call out a recent event, you know, 2013, it's not long enough ago for that to be, for that to be cool. And there are still things that happen on the daily where I go, oh my goodness me, we've, you know, we could be in 3000 BC. And the sound clips, I should say, that was my friend Andy Hollingworth. He's, he's done all of the sound clips for the start of the show. So thanks to, thanks to him. The third part of the Is Girl trilogy, Sticky Door, was, was at Vault this year. Um, yeah. Was was that supposed to be touring as well? We were going to go to um, Edinburgh with mm. Sticky Door, and um, we were going to go to Pleasance with it, which was where we did Sexy Lamp. Mm. And we were, it was so exciting, the idea of that. And then we were hoping to also get a couple of nights doing the trilogy. So um, doing the third show, which stands alone, and you can just see the third one or the second one or the first one, and that's all fine. But there is a different experience that you get with watching all three. So we were supposed to be going to... Yeah, Edinburgh and doing a month there with with Sticky Door. Um, obviously, with the Fringe being cancelled, that's not possible, but I feel that the show is ready to go whenever people are able to see it, so hopefully we can do, we can get it out there. But it was, it was supposed to be, yeah, Sexy Lamp this year, um, Sticky Door in Edinburgh, and then potentially a, a Sticky Door tour after that. But what we might do is just try and tour the trilogy and see if um, there's interest in that that, just getting out you know it'll be interesting to see the landscape after this i feel like i can't predict everything i think about the world because i haven't been right about something for, for maybe four years <laughs> every like every election jake honestly i'm like this time um, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I mean, in sexy lamp the song you have about 2012 what an optimistic time that was because like yeah i moved to london in in 2012 and it was the the olympic summer and it was just absolutely magical to to come and the whole world was there. Mm. And uh, I came with all the optimism of a, you know, recently graduated drama school student. And I was like, the time is now for me. Um, and it wasn't. But um, yeah, I wrote, I wrote the song about London and how, how magical it was. And there's a line in it um, where I say, Boris Johnson is the mayor. We think that's as bad as it can get. And every time... I performed that. We basically had a new prime minister, and then eventually it was Boris Johnson, and then it was Brexit, then it was Windrush, then it was it was just um, everything was getting worse and worse, um, and so it makes the song, you know, 
feel even every time you're like, God, 2012 was good, wasn't it? And then it was like, 2012 was amazing. And then you're like, the best year of my life was 2012. So I'm still holding on to the hope that there is going to be a theatre revolution, but yes. we'll have to. Wouldn't that be nice? In, so, in some ways, there's, a, there's an opportunity here because people can, institutions can take a step back and go, well, what sort of work do we want to be putting out there? Who do we want to be looking after and promoting? What audiences do we want to get? And, and what is the point of what we do? Um, so that's that's good in some ways. Um, and as you say, we need a bit of a revolution. <laughs> so hopefully that will happen, not just in theatre, but in politics and society and all sorts of things. And we can maybe use this as an opportunity. If we, if we do do online shows, we can get them to people who weren't going to go to the theatre anyway because they didn't feel safe there. They, didn't, uh, they couldn't afford it. They didn't feel that they... Um, that the work was for them and it, it's got to be for everyone else it's else if it, you know if it's not inclusive it's naturally exclusive and i i don't want to be doing things that are exclusive and if i have been i, I want to change that the last part of the podcast structure mm. um is that i ask my guests to talk about a particular group or charity or venue that they're Ill, more than one that they uh, they want to give a little bit of a shout out to because obviously it's not just the arts that's suffering at the minute so um what have you got to tell me about uh, so the first charity that i'd like to mention is st giles hospice which is a west midlands based hospice and um basically everyone from the west midlands knows who they are they are extremely generous they're, they're worth their weight in gold and when i first did bicycles and fit i had a, a bucket for st giles because Laura, the main reason was Laura, who's um, my oldest friend, we met when we were babies and uh, have been friends ever since. Uh, Laura sadly lost her mum and St Giles looked after her and looked after Laura and were phenomenal. So I continue to um, support them and, and look out for them. And that's the first charity that I'd love to, love to mention. And the arts... Um, charity that I'd like to bring attention to is the Flying Seagull Project, which take work and, and spread a lot of joy around the whole world. They're, you know, they're sort of like uh, doctors without borders for jokes and um, juggling things. So they do, um, uh, they perform at orphanages, uh, deaf and blind schools, marginalised uh, communities, slums and refugee camps. And the, the work they do is just completely remarkable and they do it against the odds and they take it to people who need it most so uh, i would love to give a shout out to the flying seagull project i think they're remarkable you've been an absolute dream thank you this has been extremely thoughtful the way you laid it out to me the kind things you have said very special Just thank you for having me Jake Leonard, with music by Dave Morris, publicity design by Ben Hollands, and voiceover by Rebecca Klee. We'd love to hear your favourite audience experiences and how COVID-19 has affected you. So feel free to get in touch with us on Twitter at MissingAnAward. If you want to donate or find out more about the charities our guest was talking about, you can find the links in the description below. In the meantime, keep safe. Keep well and be kind.
Next time, we're joined by the artistic director of the Actors Touring Company, Matthew Zia. I think we need to get a big, massive lump sum of cash from the Treasury. That needs to go to DCMS, who then need to work out how they deliver it across the cultural sector. Then I think the Arts Council need to think very deeply and in a considered fashion about what they call the creative case for diversity. And I think the slightly kind of washed out idea, ultimately, if you don't have a diverse organisation, then you're upholding systemic racism. Let's move to that argument. Let's move to the business case for diversity, which is how BBC One Extra was formed, you know? Uh, they looked at the data and they said, there is enough need in this country for this radio station. They took that to government. They took that, you know, because it's a public subsidy again. Uh, and they went, right, here's your ring-fenced cash for that. Off you go. And who should do it? The people who it's for should do it.